I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Check engine light on? Take the guesswork out of your check engine light with O'Reilly Veriscan. It's free and provides a report with solutions based on over 650 million vehicle scans verified by ASE certified master technicians. And if you need help, we can recommend a shop for you. Ask for O'Reilly Veriscan today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon. This is episode number 265. And today in the show, I'm joined by Cody DeQuisto of Lone Wolf Custom Gear to dissect his uniquely aggressive and purposeful approach to making his own luck in the whitetail woods. Hello and welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Onyx. And today, as I just mentioned, I'm joined by Cody DeQuisto. Now, Cody, he's the son of Andre DeQuisto, who you might know of. He's the founder of Lone Wolf Tree Stands and a very well-known and accomplished deer hunter. Um, A little bit of a legend within many circles of the DIY deer hunting community. But Cody stands on his own as a tremendously successful hunter, too. He's taken scores of big, mature bucks, many, many, and does not in this very aggressive, mobile way. And it's, it's a style that's becoming increasingly of interest to folks hunting public land or private by permission spots where hunting pressure can make things tough. You've heard me talk about ways I've done it. You've heard my buddy Dan talk about ways that he does it and a number of other guests we've had over the years. But I feel like Cody takes things maybe next level in certain in certain ways very interesting style and i wanted to pick cody's brain for a while about this kind of get the first hand scoop on how he's doing what he's doing um so that's been on my radar but early this month earlier in january cody popped back up for me because lone wolf custom gear became the talk of the 2019 ata show with a reviving of this brand and a whole bunch of new products that cody and his dad have been working on. So this is kind of all the buzz over the last couple of weeks, and it made me realize yeah, I really got to get Cody back on here. Now's a great time to chat with him. And finally, that's what we've been able to do. We got it scheduled. We made it happen. And what we're going to do here today is talk a little bit about the new company or kind of this new revitalization of the company and some of the new products coming out. And then we spend the majority of the episode then diving into a bunch of very specific examples of how Cody hunts and successfully tags so many different mature bucks. Um, It's very interesting. I really enjoyed his perspective and his strategies. And a few of the points he makes along the way are just, man, they're, they're things to live by some really great things to keep in mind as we head into this next season so i'm excited for you to hear this but i do want to give you two quick heads ups before we move on number one 
there is a little bit more adult language in this one than some others, so just fair warning on that. Uh, if that's not your cup of tea, you might just want to skip ahead to the next one or skip back to another one or maybe just don't listen to this one with the little ones present. And secondly, about two-thirds of the way or so through our chat, we started having a little bit of a sound quality disruption. I apologize in advance for that. Wish it didn't happen, but uh, there are a few sections where things get a little fuzzy on his end. Uh, I decided, though, that we're going to keep that content in here because I just think it's it's really interesting. The full interview intact, I feel it should be there for those who want to listen. Uh, but I do apologize for a little bit of that sound issue that you will catch again eventually. So with all of that out of the way... I think we should just jump right into it. Let's take a quick hot second to thank our partners at Morton Buildings, and then we'll get on with the show. So as I've mentioned, I'm excited for this new partnership with Morton Buildings because I've for a long time looked at Morton Buildings out there on folks' properties and been very, very jealous. Morton, they're the builders of very high-quality steel pole barns and steel buildings. Um, you know, they can be used just as storage for your tractor and your hunting gear. I've seen others where they're, you know, full-born pole barn houses where you have a large storage area for your truck and your tractor and your four-wheel but then also maybe half of it is a living area um man i've kind of dreamed of having my own little hunting property someday and a pole barn house on it that is is what i'm hoping to someday have and it's kind of neat to be able to talk about on the podcast here and, and kind of tell you about my dreams Maybe someday it'll happen, but from what I understand, Morton is the place to get this done. They have over 100 years of experience. They're fully customizable. Like I mentioned, you can have a pole barn house. You can have a huge storage facility, whatever you want. They have several different features that make these particularly high quality, like their energy performer insulation. They have high rib steel. It's very low maintenance, and right now, there are some special promotional prices going on that are running through February 28th. So if you are in the market for a new barn or pole barn house or a little living space on your property, you can head over to mortonbuildings.com to learn more. All right, with me now on the line is Cody DeQuisto. Cody, thanks for joining me here. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me on. I look to... Been uh, kind of looking forward to it the last couple weeks. Yeah, me too. It was. Uh, it's actually been something I've wanted to do for a while. Um, I, I think I maybe reached out once a long time ago, or we might have met very briefly at some trade show a couple of years ago. But now it's finally happening, and, um, and man, the timing is good. I think because you and your company Lone Wolf Custom Gear has been all over social media right lately. A lot of people asking questions about what's going on new products coming out, a lot of excitement, I feel, coming around it because because your dad started Lone Wolf a long time ago. Many of us have used Lone Wolf tree stands in the subsequent years, um, and they've been, you know, amazing, amazing products. And now you guys have got some new stuff happening, which is, which is exciting. So I think maybe to kick things off, Cody, I just, I feel like there's there's just like some questions around what this company is, how it's different than it used to be, what your involvement is with Lone Wolf Custom Gear versus what you used to do with uh, XOP or maybe you're still doing with XOP. Can you kind of just walk us through what you're doing now, what's up with the new brand or the old brand that's now revitalized the new products? Um, I just just walk us through that. Yeah, yeah, no problem, Mark. So, um, I mean, essentially what you're seeing now, you know, is, is, is Lone Wolf uh, Custom Gear. Um pretty much the the same as the original lone wolf brand um you know we added the custom gear because we we branched out into a couple different avenues so uh you know it's always been obviously known for tree stands climbing sticks and and that sort of thing 
Um, but now we have some, some cameras and some other products. So, um, but essentially what it is, is it's a family based company or own company that, that, uh, you know, my dad started back in 1984 out of the garage in the backyard, um, innovated and, and designed these tree stands and, you know, spent a long time building that brand. Um, and it's kind of been dormant for a while. Uh, there has been a lone wolf tree stands present, uh, for the last, uh, 10 or so years, or actually it might even be a little longer than that. Two yeah, maybe 15 years actually. So, um, but that, what you see is, is a licensing agreement. So, um, he built up his, um, his line of tree stands, climbing aids and stuff like that, um, and licensed those patented items as well as the name brand, um, to a company and sort of got out of the business for a while. Um, and was, you know, we always had the intent to relaunch the brand. Um, and I think we were just kind of waiting for that right time. Um, and this year marks the 30, 35 year anniversary of, of the brand. So we figured it was, uh, it was the perfect time to launch that. Wow. And so with, with the relaunch of the brand, like you mentioned, there's a few new products coming out. You guys, I don't know how much you want to dive into it, but a new revitalized take on your tree stands, um, updates on your climbing sticks. Can you walk us through some of that stuff and then maybe a little bit on the other products you guys have too? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's definitely, um, a big thing, um, uh, that I'm proud of for this year. So, so what I wanted to do, um, you know, when, when dad and I started talking about the, you know, the relaunch of the brand and kind of getting back into it is, um, is really make a product again that catered to, you know, our needs and, and guys like us, you know, sort of like what happened back in the nineties when dad, you know, uh, came up with that cast aluminum and patent that technology. So, uh, it's a little bit of different, um, different track you would say than what I've been doing with XOP. Um, you know, trying to appeal to the masses, uh, get a stand that, that is good for everybody, um, bring that cast aluminum technology, you know, at a more affordable price and just, uh, you know, kind of as an in industry all around. Um, so this is de definitely dedicated to more of a, uh, uh, mobile style hunter. So what we did is, you know, we have a hang on and a set of climbing sticks, but it's more than a hang on and climbing sticks. It's a, it's a complete system. So, um, it is a hang on that completely eliminates all the little things that we were upset with or didn't work properly or, or function smoothly on the old models. And it integrates with the climbing sticks, everything from, you know, um, transporting your gear to, you know, an efficient up the tree one time to get set up, um, lightweight, innovative features. So, um, I like to definitely look at it as a system. Uh, one of the biggest things on this system is the, uh, you know, we're calling it like a frame pack feature. So what it is, is the seat actually locks into the casting and it essentially turns your stand into a frame pack. So, um, it's really cool. You have a nice shelf that can support whatever weight you want to put on it. You can pack game out with it. You can put your extra clothes on it. You can if you're filming, you're a camera guy and you got all that equipment, um, it gives you a nice sturdy shelf to rest your gear on. Um, and when you couple that with the new sticks that actually, um, plug together, like no other sticks on the market, they're actually flush and they mount right to the stand. So you have a nice, even, you know, even shelf there, 
um, and you're not loading one side of your stand heavier than the other. Um, so it makes for just, just awesome, awesome transport, um, and just ultimate like function. Yeah. Did I see that it's seven and a half pounds for the stand now? Is that right? Yep. Yep. The, the stand total weight is seven and a half pounds. Um, we got two sets of sticks. Uh, we have a full length, like a three step. Um, and that is, that's right around two pounds that stick. And then our compact size, it's a, it's a double step. That one fits right into the profile of the stand and is like your, um, your, um, I'd say, you know, maybe your more, more mobile friendly stick, you know, with those guys who really want to get as compact and low profile. And that one's just a, a pound and a half. Wow. Yeah. That's, uh, that's really, really nice to see. I remember even with, uh, Gosh, the old assaults that I used to have, those were pretty darn lightweight, and I think those were still like 12 pounds or somewhere around that. So this is quite a quite a chunk of weight knocked off that too. So for folks going going really mobile, that seems to be a great option. Now, I've actually kind of added a little bit of a tweak to my mobile setup because I do, I do a lot of this too, hunt a lot of public land, new spots, even on my private, private properties, and I started using a saddle this past year. And I saw oh, you guys yeah. have got a saddle platform too. What's the deal with that? Yeah. So, and that's another thing that's kind of been, um, you know, the whole, I feel like the, the industry as a whole has been, has been climbing and, and edging back toward this, this like, um, it almost seems like it's getting more in a mobile type, um, style than it even was, uh, to begin with. You know, I think back then it was like, there wasn't mobile hunting. So the introduction of those stands made mobile hunting a thing or, or at least more of a thing from semi-permanent models. And now it's like a, you know, that, that, that circle back to the old way of doing things or a little bit older way. Um, I feel like a lot of things are getting stagnant. So along with that, you know, a popular model that dad had, um, designed in the lone wolf line before he, uh, license all that out to the new company was the assassin and that was sort of the first of uh you know the first of its kind like it was it was just a new thing you know it 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 was there was guys using tree saddles a lot and guys were on foot pegs or on light stands and stuff but there really wasn't a, a platform designed for those guys and that's what they did and it went it went over pretty well but it was it was a I think it was still missed. It was overlooked at that time and not many people got into it too much. Um, and now in the last couple of years, we've seen a big influx of just guys going nuts for the, the, the saddle type hunting and, you know, getting more mobile, trying to get lighter weight. So we found, or, you know, we knew that, you know, one of the first stands that we would do and develop along with this lightweight hang on was a saddle platform. And what we have now is essentially designed in the image of the original assassin a uh, little lighter weight it's got the cool you know kind of techy look that we got with the new um you know water jetted material all solid uh solid aluminum and it, and it just it's mean it looks really mean it's got a lot of extra extra function than the old one did as far as you know perimeter grips and you know more leveling just as solid it's just uh, uh so that was definitely something we knew we wanted in the line um just to kind of um not only accommodate the guys hunting like we are like me personally, I don't use saddles. I just, I'm so, I got my stand set up so dialed in that it's, it's just what I love to do, but there's nobody out there that's really designing the highest, most 
you know, the highest quality, you know, best products for those, those mobile guys. So we wanted to get it at every angle. Yeah. And I'm excited to see that. I know um, more and more people are trying to find different platform options for those saddles. And I know some guys are actually taking lone wolf tree stand seats and modding those to become like DIY platforms. And I guess some yeah, folks yeah. say that works, although I don't know how safe it is. I'm not saying I would recommend <laughs> it, but uh, it seems like a real platform designed to be a platform like you guys are doing. That's probably the safer, uh, safer option. So it's, it's good to see you guys are putting something like that out there. Yeah, yeah, I, I I agree too. You know, it's it's you know not that the not that the seat the the tree stand seats aren't strong, but you know they're just they're just not designed for that. You know, they're they're designed to be a seat. They're not designed to have a you know all that weight being pivoted off the side. So um, I think this is going to give you know and I, to at the same time I feel people like kind of tinkering with stuff and, and doing their own custom designs. I think this stand is going to give a guy you know just a really awesome. Uh, advantage being able to buy a stand that is designed for that purpose that will work in the scenarios that they're using it um, and also too you know we've we've made this stand now integrate with our new compact climbing stick so it, it makes for like the ultimate little little setup you know you got to you got your uh, your compact sticks on your uh, saddle platform and, and you just kind of you know you're all set up then at that point yeah, I think those new sticks are something I'm going to have to try out here soon because as I've been tweaking my mobile setup, trying to get more and more lightweight, I've still been using the old sticks. I've got a couple different pairs from maybe eight, nine years ago now, and it seems like there's there's definitely some options that uh, are significantly improved, this being this being one of those. So I'm excited what you guys are up to, Cody. Um, it looks like some really cool things, and... I guess before we move on, the main thing um, I do want to spend a lot of time here talking about is is why you and your dad are so well equipped to put products like this together because of your hunting success. But uh, if people do want to learn some more about the new gear you guys are out, uh, where can they find that online? Uh, you can go to www.lonewolfcustomgear.com. Um, that has you know, a lot of info on all the new products, products to come. Um, we are still populating that website. You know, it's kind of a, it's a process and we're still, you know, working on all the final models. We're going to open up, um, you know, a lot more information here in the next couple of weeks. Um, but you can get some good info there. You can sign up for the newsletter and, and figure out, you know, or get any inside in scoop, um, on all the new products. Awesome. All right. So your dad started Lone Wolf, he, uh, I think that it was basically him who started Whitetail Addiction TV too, and had a lot of folks that kind of learned from him as far as, you know, how to hunt like Adam Hayes, people like that, that I think a lot of us know about today. So I feel like there's a lot of history that you probably grew up around, um, with the things that your oh, yeah. dad was doing. How did that impact, how did that impact why you hunt i'm sure there's a lot of ways that impacted how you hunt but growing up in that how do you feel like that affects like your why still now um i it's a good question um i guess going back to the beginning i mean you know coming coming up in that sort of circumstance i think you know into that to that point like you mentioned i i got into hunting right when you know kind of the the, the cuss or the whitetail addictions um, you know, started being, being a thing, you know, right when filming your hunts got, was getting more popular and all that. So, you know, when I had a bow in my hand, I, uh, um, you know, from the start, there was always a camera on me and it was kind of, it's kind of weird at first. Um, but honestly, to tell you the truth, I, it, I think at first it sort of turned me off. Um, you know, being, 
uh, I guess, you know, in, in a, in a, in a sense, having such big shoes to fill, um, it was maybe, you know, a little bit here and there. I didn't really, didn't really get bit by the bug at first and, and wasn't pressured into it. So, um, once I did, uh, become just obsessed with the sport and I, I seen that, you know, I, I developed that passion that I seen all these other guys that I was always surrounded by, uh, coming up and, and not people that I came up with, but, you know, just dad, the guys he hunted with, like you mentioned. And, and, um, I think that's when I really just kind of went, you know, uh, went full bore and, um, you know, being, being competitive, my, you know, I always had that urge, like, you know, I gotta, well, I gotta get it done, you know? So it was, um, sort of just a, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm even asking, answering the question. I think I'm, I think I might <laughs> no. no, you're fine. Going, uh, it's a tough one because I feel like it's one of those questions that a lot of us don't really have to think about very often because yeah, yeah. why do you hunt? Well, we just hunt because it's what we do. It's what we love. Um, so it's, it is kind of surprising sometimes to sit back and try to think about it, but I thought it might be interesting just given kind of the context that you came up in. I mean, to what you, you mentioned, know, I, Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Yeah. You know, I was even going to say, you know, I think I, I really think too, that like the guys who are really into it, I think there's something inside you, man. Like it's, it's one of those, it's one of those primal things. I think just to, you know, to, it, when you start doing it and like, we were just talking, you know, before we were on the phone and, and, you know, those, those close encounters and, you know, um, you know, kind of just giving it to your all and, and figuring out the pieces of the puzzle and, and making it happen. And, uh, you know, uh, especially with a, with a bow, you know, and I think it, there's a certain type of person, certain type of mind that maybe like clicks with that more or, or loves it more and gets, gets more kind of uh, infatuated and, and, and obsessed with that, that experience and that sport. Uh, so I think a lot of it's got to do with just, uh, you know, I think it's in you too, you know? Oh yeah. hundred percent agree that that chess match, it just can, can just get you going down the, down the pipe and you can't stop. <laughs> I can definitely relate to that. Um, so, so I've been kind of keeping tabs on what you've been up to lately and how you hunt because, you know, w without needing to refer back to your dad too much, he's someone I was paying attention to for a long time. And then when I saw that you were doing some of the same things, but doing them in your own way and having a ton of success, that was, that was really intriguing to me. Um, so I guess, I think I've got an idea of this in my own head, but I want to hear it from you. Let's imagine you were like on an elevator and you're going from the fourth, first floor to the 10th floor and someone on that elevator asks you to describe how you hunt, like your hunting style. And you just have like the one minute it's going to take to go from the first floor to the 10th floor. How would you narrow down and describe your basic hunting style in that one minute if you had to kind of get it down to the most uh -huh. essential? I would definitely say, um, aggressive or, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of words like aggressive, consistent, you know, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, I guess it's the biggest thing I would say that I've learned, you know, throughout the years and, and stuff that I've taken from dad, stuff that I've learned on my own is that make your own luck. Luck is not, I mean, you can get lucky. If you, if you go out in the woods and you think to yourself, okay, I need to make this happen. Like the, don't let anything come to you, you know, bring yourself to that situation. 
that would be like how I hunt. That's how I look at it every time. You know, I, okay, hey, I could sit on this field edge and wait, but I'm not going to do that. It's not. I'm not. I'm an impatient person. You know, I'm like, okay, I need to find this. I need to find what's going on. I need to get myself in the right spot so I can get so I can get the job done. So, um, I would definitely think, uh, you know, uh, more of aggressive kind of go 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 style and um just the opposite of the opposite of lazy yeah yeah i heard you i heard you on a on another interview say that you don't get out just to get out like you're not ever gonna sit somewhere just well it's a it's a saturday i can hunt so i'm just gonna sit in this tree and hunt and see what happens it sounds like that is never what you're doing you are always hunting somewhere for a very specific reason at a very specific time because you think you're gonna kill right then and there is that is that an accurate summary yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I, that right there, that is the goal. You know, going into the season, I tell myself, okay, you know, you need to be on it, you know. And I'm not going to say that I've never sat somewhere that I didn't, you know. Uh, you know, there's there's definitely times that, that I have gotten into a tree for no reason and just sat there to be out in the woods. Like, well, you know, you're not going to kill one if you're not out here. You know, and then I sort of smack myself in the face. And it's like, you could be doing way more than this to, to you know, be successful. So just, you know, get down and go, go look around or or, uh, you know, start surmising a game plan. So um, it, it's just like the whole thing with, with kind of, you know, when we talk about mobile, I, it happens to me all the time. I'm not going to say it doesn't. Sometimes I do get I get caught up in old stuff or I get caught up in, in waiting. And then as soon as I – I'm just really good at checking myself out of it, you know, and, and noticing when I'm doing those things, and then I, I immediately change. So um, to, to your point, yes, I want to be – in a, every time I'm in a stand, I want to know that that, you know, either the deer I'm after or a good deer that I think is, you know, in that area could die, you know, and if I'm not in that spot, I just, you know, cause I think, I think a lot of it's, I think a lot of it's mine too. And if you're not in that spot and it may sound, sound wacky, but you're sitting there, you you know, if there's, if you're all negative in that stand, like, I, I just don't think anything's good is going to come from that. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, some people, you know, I mean, it, it, it does happen sometimes, but I think those guys who are getting, you know, that luck and just by chance killing a good one are just, it's a completely different, you know, different story. Yeah. Now I gotta, I gotta imagine that in order to be able to put yourself in those kinds of positions during hunting season, where you're that confident about being in the right spot for a specific deer or for a specific reason, I imagine there's gotta be a lot of work that leads up to that moment that makes it possible. A lot of scouting and stuff. Um, we're, you know, we're right now talking in late January. Postseason scouting is is obviously a hot thing as we get here into February, March, April, as snow starts melting, different things like that. Can you kind of walk me through what kinds of things you're going to be doing in the coming months to start laying that foundation? What, like, specifically are you doing? Um, I, definitely, I, I definitely do a lot of shed hunting, you know, and... But to be honest, even like shed hunting, you know, I'll look around, I, I, I take note. Um, a lot of times I shed hunt pieces that I already hunt. So I already kind of know what was going on late season. I know what was going on early season. Um, and I honestly hardly ever hunt shed hunt like new pieces. Um, I think that would def that would definitely help me. And I'd definitely be looking at, you know, all the sign that happened during season on those shed hunts, uh, where the horns are. I, I've heard a lot of good things of, you know, killing deer where you find their sheds i've never really personally correlated anything specific to that like i mean uh, you know I, I find i know a lot of guys who they use that as a big piece of the puzzle um when i'm looking for sheds i'm more so looking at trying to get okay this deer 
you know, is, is going to probably be a shooter next year. You know, the area he's in late season, I'll, I'll probably surmise that much, but I, um, you know, I, as far as late season and this time, I mean, yeah, I mean, picking up horns, I guess, uh, you know, I always take note of where deer are feeding in fields, where I see them when it's really extremely cold out, where, you know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, trails pop up, you got highways that start when you got deep snows and, 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 and those sort of things. But as the snow melts, um, I think it's a really good picture before it greens up and it, everything becomes just, you know, covered up to see what happened that late last season. If that's, if that's the stuff you're looking for. Yeah. So, so is that the kind of stuff you're looking for or maybe what I should say is when's the most important sign for you? Like, when do you really try to scout? Is, is it just in season? As soon as as I get the bow in my hand and I'm ready to kill something, that's like my, um, I've in, and it, it might be different than a lot of other people and how they go about things. But I, I've went through, in the in the years of of like i i i'd say come coming into my own as like a as a hunter and really figuring out my own style and and how i do things i tried to do a lot of summer scouting i tried to do you know i and i you know all those things like uh you know i was out there you know setting up stands after the season or you know to where i seen you know good bucks in that area um, late season and then like, Oh, this is just a really good spot late season. You know, let me set this stand there. Or I'll go find where they're, you know, a nice hot creek crossing in the middle of summer. And I'd set up the stands on there and, and to whereas I killed good deer, you know, the following year. And it definitely helped. I think it, I honestly think it, it, it hurt just, it helped to know general patterns and stuff of the land, but it, it never really paid off like it does for me walking into the woods as soon as I know that I can go figure something out. And as soon as I know I can really go after something, finding out what is going on at that exact second, you know, I've, 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 I've hung stands late season on deer before and those deer never made it next year. And, you know, so a stand that I was banking on thinking about last year, Oh, that, you know, that big eight with the split two two is was coming out here last year. He's probably going to be around here. You know, I'd, I'd make all these, you know, I'd surmise all these, uh, uh, you know, uh, things that I was thinking of, like, okay, he's probably going to be right here. And I'd, I'd, I'd be figuring it out, and I'd think that I was getting ahead of myself, or I'd think I was helping myself for next season. And then next season would come, and, you know, that deer might have, you know, not, not made it. Might have got a rack infection, or he just wasn't there for some reason. or got poached, or, you know, into where, uh, and then, you know, the, the cr- summer sign, you know, uh, oh, these deer are frequently in this. Well, as soon as they come in a hard antler, I mean, boom, the, the pattern changes. They're eating something different. They're, you know, they got more testosterone running through them. They're just not as lax as they are in summer months. So I, I just really started focusing on, you know, I take that stuff into account and I, and I do it here and there. But like, to me, it's like, you know, it's like sitting at that race, you know, and when that freaking gun gets fired, that's when I'm like, boom, what is going on? Where's it happening now? How do I kill something? You know, I, I, I try not to think about that stuff. Well, yeah, they were there late season, but who gives a shit? Yeah. You know, oh, he, he, that deer was here in the, in, you know, in the summer. I was getting, I got pictures of them in velvet all. You know, I, I hear that from a lot of guys. So, oh, I, got, I, got, had pictures, I had pictures of them all summer on velvet right here, and they're hunting right there when the season opens instead of going to look for the sign, figuring out exactly where that deer is now. Well, I stopped getting pictures of them three weeks ago. Well, then why are you hunting there? Yeah. You know, I mean, so a lot of people just get caught up and I, I might sound like a broken record, but on the past, um, yeah. I think it's very important to 
to take things in the here, take things in the now and just figure them out. And if you find out what's going on now is what was going on in the past, well, whatever <laughs> that, you know, then, then you're right. You, you know, then you've, you've checked your work, you know, you, you're not, you're not just banking on past sign. You know, if, if you go check it and it says, Oh shit, this deer is still doing what he was doing in the summer. Well then so be it. Go kill him. You know, but, but what if he's not, yeah. you know, why, you know, why commit to that? So, um, I don't know. I feel like I might have even went off on a tangent, but no, that's, but that's, that's sort of sort of how I feel about the uh, um, a lot of the summer stuff. And another thing too, I I really do think that these deer, um, well, no, I don't think I know these deer make bigger gains, um, and they're more susceptible to be killed if you leave them alone, and you're not tromping through the, the piece that you plan on hunting, and you're not doing a lot of that. Although I think they might take a little bit more of that at that point in time because it's not so you know i think the summer there everything's more lax nothing's really like you know uh being hunted or whatever but um i do think that's a big thing as well and it's a big advantage to like if you know if you know you got some good deer on the 40 you're hunting stay the hell out of it i mean you know let them let them have that let them let them hang out let them let them grow their racks in a stress-free environment you know, and then boom, I just, I jump in there right as soon as I can kill them. I figure out where they're going, where they're betting, you know, or, or I try at least. And then, you know, you have that element of surprise instead of, you know, throughout the summer, uh, you're in there trimming stuff. You're leaving scent, you're, you're walking around, you're bumping the deer, you know, you're, you're putting unnecessary stress on those deer, um, you know, before it's time. It's, it's, it's almost like kind of showing your cards a little bit, uh, in a, in a poker game, you know I mean? Yeah. Like why? why do it? That's the kind of, that's, that's the, that's the mentality I take into it personally. And I, and don't get me wrong. I know guys that, that scout the piss out of their property in summer and they kill good bucks every year. So I'm not saying it's not the, it's just the way I, you know, the way I kind of look at it. But so, so that makes sense. But then my immediate next question though, is how do you do that kind of scouting to figure all that kind of stuff out during the season? without having the same negative impacts that you talked about in the summer. So how do you get in there, learn this stuff without spooking those deer out right then and there when you actually can hunt them? Um, uh, I feel like that's the yep. big like balancing act. I imagine you have to handle. So and the answer to that is I don't care. I know that right when I go in there, I will be setting up a stand that time and I will be waiting for that deer. So I don't, I, that completely, that doesn't even enter my mind. You know, that, that thought process you know, a lot of guys, oh, I don't want to go in there because cause I'm going to ruin it. Well, I don't think like that. I go in there. Well, I have to go in there because I want to kill him or because I want to kill that deer. Now, to that to that point, you know, if I know there's a – I'll look at aerials. I'll, I'll surmise where I think if a deer was in that area where he's coming out to feed, you know, or whatnot. And, I, you know, I'm not going to go tromp right in there the first day. I mean, you can find out a lot by, you know, scouting an edge where, you know, you know, deer aren't bedding or, or edge of a food source and, and hanging a stand. Um, and, you, you know, damn well, you can be in a spot where you can kill him. But uh, my mentality on that is simply, well, as soon as he finds me out, I'm going to be in a position to kill him. So I don't care. Right. Because when he's when he's having that aha moment, you're slipping an arrow through his uh, through his lungs. Right. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that's kind of the you know, that, that's definitely the. Uh, um, the game plan you know i mean if 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 you can sneak in there um and uh you know i mean think about it that deer 
has never been tipped off of you. You you haven't been scouting that place. You haven't been leaving any. He's been he's been there, you know, doing his thing the whole time. You come in, you find him, and you're immediately hunting him. Instead of coming in, finding the spot, you scout around. Oh man, this would be a good spot. And then you hang a stand. You know, you leave it. That deer might even start to kind of stray away from that area, or at least I think that you know, if you're doing that stuff months before the season. And you're, you're going in there, and then a lot of guys will hang cameras like right on their, their stand that they, that they hung. And then they'd be checking those, even though they only check them like once a month. But any any messing around in there, I just think, you know, if, if and even if you know he's there, if I know he's there, I'll get the hell out. I won't trim a damn thing. I won't hang a stand. I won't set a camera there. I, if I know, what do I need 500 pictures of him for if I know he's there and I plan on killing him the opening week of the season? So that's that's just the kind of way I look at things. I, I don't, uh, you know, it, it's, I don't know. I, I also, I don't know if that makes sense, but I, but it I, does. Uh, it does. I hope so. <laughs> so, so I know you killed a buck this past season on, I think it was October 12th, maybe. Um, yep. was that hunt the way that things led up to it? Was that a good example of what you're describing here? And if so, could you actually walk us through like from October 1st through October 12th, what you did each hunt leading up to that kill finally i'm kind of curious to hear if you like you knew about them you made a move on october 1st it wasn't quite right you tweaked it again and made another move is that is that kind of what happened that this year this year um definitely is in the the typical fashion of how i normally hunt i killed him in the in the timber you know on the way back to his bed after figuring out where he bedded but as far as a a a clear clean example of what was going on in, in like an early season and not messing up the property um it might not be the best example i have other deer that are like perfect you know you can you can uh line up the story you know um day by day this one was more so i had no idea where he was i was more so focusing on different side of property um you know it 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 actually showcases maybe a, a another lesson to be learned you know i i knew there was a good buck on a different different area i was hunting a different area the majority of of beginning a season you know and i was hunting this deer and hunting this deer and um you know it's one of those things where sometimes you can't you know you can't allow yourself to be that pinned down so i you know started started branching out and started looking in different areas instead of just hammering home on the same exact area you know if if you have that opportunity now i didn't know this buck per se i you know it was just it was more so like hey this is this is a good buck that i would kill you know not like hey this is the buck that i want to kill so and you knew that um, based off of what off of like big rubs you saw or like in past years you saw well, good deer this, how did you know this that? one this one i had a uh, i actually had a trail camera um out on a on a field edge um in a position to where i like it was a it was a spot on a field edge that gets it's a primary scrape every year you know it wasn't it obviously wasn't scraped when i hung the camera but i knew that as soon as that season would start rolling around i would have you know that thing would be starting to get shredded up they they shred their velvet in this area i've seen it you know years before and they start just raking the cedar tree it's a it's a big overhanging cedar tree on the edge of a crop field so i just had that camera out there knowing that you know hey i'll probably get a, you know at least a, a a bit of inventory you know come when the season opens and see if there's anything that that's you know we're shooting here so I uh, ended up getting one picture of this deer, which immediately gave me some information even on that fact that there was only one picture of him, but there was a picture of him. And it wasn't the best picture, but I was looking at it. And I'm like, okay, you know, that, that, that deer will probably do. Let me, let me, let me try and find him. You know, then I, um, it, but to that point, 
that was a couple days before season. I checked that camera and then I started surmising my game plan. Um, you know, I started, uh, hunting for that deer before I even knew about this other, this, this buck that I ended up killing. Um, but as soon as I found out about that buck, you know, then I, I just, or, or even before I found out about that buck, this deer was, was proven, you know, I mean, he was definitely had a long, he was traveling a long ways and I was, I was, uh, you know, trying to get at that. And then I just decided, Hey, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to actually going to uh, increase my odds here and start looking at other places as well, because, you know, I, I didn't know, I didn't know where that buck was at. I didn't know how often he was freaking that area. Um, I had to dive in right away and start to try and figure out those things. But at the same time, I, I knew I wasn't going to pin myself down and spend the entire season right on that spot where I got the camera picture, just because, you know, I, I try not to take that for, um, too specific either, just like a, a single picture on a camera. So, so, okay. So you, what, how many times did you actually hunt in the area where you ended up killing that buck actually like thinking, okay, I'm going to try to kill the good buck that's in this area. How many hunts did it take till you actually had it happen? Two hunts. Two hunts. So can you tell yep. me about the first so hunt this, and the second yeah. hunt and why? Yep. So, so this one, this one, like I said, this one's a little bit, it's a little, not, I wouldn't say, uh, it's a little bit simpler than some of the other ones. And, and we can dive into something like that. Like you said, that maybe really rings home on that nose counting, but this, this all comes about of like, okay, you know, this is a, this is the home farm, you know, when a deer, you know, I just know from years that like, okay, when, when signs popping up here and you know, a, a deer's, you know, I might see a deer feeding in, in this area. I immediately start to, you know, ring in my head. Okay. Well, I think he's, you know, I make those, it's not like being on a new property and, and thinking and having a really go, uh, look. So this was just a simple, um, you know, scouting session where, you know, I mean, I noticed a nice trail, some big tracks. I, I, you know, paired that with, you know, seeing a buck out in the field. Um, and I kind of, you know, immediately was just like, okay, well, I think he's, he's either bedding, you know, on the backside of this ridge or the one over. So it was like, slip up there, check it out. You know, I seen some good sign on that ridge, I seen what I, you know, what I anticipated that deer's track was because I went out in the field, you know, looked at it. Um, there were some, there were some light rubs uh, popping up, you know, coming in from the corner of this woodlot that I figured he was probably, you know, scraping on as he was coming in and out from his from his bedding area. So I just, I slipped up on a ridge that, um, you know, I've hunted in the past um, that I knew would be the perfect ambush point if he was coming in with the wind I had, you know, I mean to to bed in that corner. And I knew in my head that well, shit, if he's not if this is another buck and this is not him and I don't kill him this morning, I'll kill him tomorrow. Cause I'll go on the next ridge over. And I was, you know, I was just 95% sure in my head that he had to be bedded in one of those spots. And then if I didn't, if I didn't run into him on that other ridge, well then I'd really just start to dissect it and, and kind of, you know, look in between and, and see what I was missing. And, uh, but it ended up happening on the first one, on the first yeah. hunt. So it was actually the second sit. Um, but with that being said, you know, I've been, I've had properties that I've, you know, never been on and it's like, okay, you know, or haven't been on in, in two to three years. And it's just day one, you get in there. Okay. You, you got no, no previous information, uh, nothing. And you got to just figure it out. You got to, you got to go look for something, you know, and, and then you, you, you know, you move from there. But this one, uh, you know, I feel like the more you hunt, the more you hunt certain farms, uh, you definitely kind of uh, not only just 
in general, but you, you should you should have an idea of where you're you know where your deer typically bed or where you yeah. um or whatnot. Previous history coming back to help you for sure. Um, you mentioned the fact that you looked at those tracks. How big? I don't know if you actually ever measure or put your hands up to them or anything like that. But how big of a track do you need to see to like interest you to say, oh yeah, that's that's a big mature buck. I mean, you know, I, I've seen it, 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 uh, it's weird because, you know, tracks don't lie. You're going to have a, you know, I've hunted, I've killed good deer on just a single track on a single trail and really thick stuff and shot them at five yards, just sitting on that track. Like, well, what the hell is it? This is a big deer. I mean, if it's a, you know, if it's a, a deer, I don't want to shoot Well, whatever, but it's a big track. Um, so I do like the track thing. Um, a four finger track I think is, is a, is a tank. Yeah. Um, there's, there's definitely, um, you know, deer that I've shot that are some of my biggest deer over 170 that didn't have a big track though. You know? So, yeah. I mean, they're just, they're just younger deer. So you can't, but you can't go wrong with, with, with hunting big tracks. If you got, if you got big tracks, you got, you got big deer, you got old deer. So, I mean, it's not nothing wrong. This deer had a pretty good track. I didn't measure it. You know, I just, I seen it and I'm like, okay, that's a good box. You know, it was, uh, you know, it was nice and um, nice and wet, you know, it was sinking real deep into the mud. Um, it was good side, good size, you know, splayed quite a bit. And, um, you know, and that leads me to even the rubs I found, you know, it's not like I found, you know, trees of this buck that were, you know, 20 inches wide that were just shredded to shit. I mean, these are little, um, these are little sapling type trees, um, that I think was just casual, you know, uh, you know, rubber to the bases and, and stuff like that. So, I mean, I'm, I've hunted, uh, I found areas in, in cedar thickets that were just shredded. I mean, you'd think like the trees in there were freaking huge and been high and all that stuff. And, you know, some, you know, you, you got to figure it out. You hunt them. I've had, you know, 135, 145 deer and walk in like, Oh man, you know, you're, you're thinking this thing's got to be 180 inch buck, like the way this place looks. So, I mean, a lot of that could be deceiving, but that's where you got to stay on it. And, um, um, I mean, when I seen that, tra- I knew, I knew hundred percent, you know, just, where he was in the field, where the track was, you know, where the deer typically bed, where I thought he'd be bedding. It was just, you know, it was all there. Um, yeah, I feel like that is the secret sauce kind of that a lot of people struggle with is, you know, maybe they figured out, okay, I need to be mobile. I need to move in, try to find this hot sign or whatever. That's going to help me know where to hunt right now. Um, but actually saying that is a lot easier than doing it. Like knowing the sign that's worth setting up on. Um, so I'm kind of curious, you, you alluded to some other examples of past years where you have kind of done this from the get-go, started out early season and worked your way into one. Um, is there another example you could walk us through where you did that? Um, I'm kind of particularly interested in like what specific sign led you to do X, which led you to do Y, which led you to kill that deer. Um, I know you killed an opening day booner back in 2015. Is that a good example of that? Um, yeah, I mean, that's a pretty, that was a, that was a place that I hadn't, um, hunted in a couple years. Um, and I was actually, uh, I was on the road in, um, I think it was, it was Kansas and I was hunting in Kansas and I was just, and I had never hunted in Kansas before. So I was just, you know, turning and burning, you know, hunting as much, finding out as much info as I could hopping and, and all that stuff. And it was real early. It was real hot. Um, there's a lot less sign out there. It was just, it was different. It was a whole different ballgame when I was used to I, I like thicker more uh you know uh, stuff like that and I and you know so opening day I came you know so I had already been 
you know, kind of, you know, in that, in that mindset. And then opening day came and I, uh, literally just went and walked the property. You know, I got the, I got the wind in my nose and I just started looking for, looking for good signs. So I started, uh, you know, walking, um, uh, I actually had to hook around the backside of the property just so I could, you know, have an idea. Um, and I walked through the whole, the whole West end of the property. Um, and my goal right when I got there was to, okay, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go set up a spot that I think I can kill one on in the morning. And I'm going to then, you know, go hop up, hop in a spot for the evening just to, just to see what's going on. So, um, I ended up, you know, coming up, coming up a creek and, um, you know, finding a, a little rub line, you know, going up the side of a hill, you know, definitely, you know, was, was piquing some interest, but, um, I went more so, um, I was trying to, I was more so trying to find where I, w- I was really trying to kick up a deer, honestly, is what I was trying to do. Um, and this was, and normally I think I, I think I had about four days. So if I typically would have went there and I was there for as long as it takes, or if I you know, had a couple of weeks, I don't think I would have done this. Uh, I would have probably started off in a more of a, you know, outside the timber approach, but um, it was one of those things where I didn't have a lot of time and I knew I only had a few days. So I went with the sole intent, you know, in my mind to kick up a buck. So, you know, I got the, um, I got the wind, like I said, uh, you know, in my favor and started scouting these, these, uh, um, these ridges. And uh, now there's a really thick on the map uh, and I've killed deer around it in the past. So it was one of those things where, you know, I, I didn't know that some stuff was going on there, but I literally ended up, able to um sneak up on this bus and uh, i seen him bedded you know I, I i could see a rack in the you know he was in really thick briar patch you know I'm, I'm talking like just super gnarly and i seen him and i'm thinking okay all right well you know immediately in my mind i'm, I'm thinking this buck's dead so i then purposely like kind of was even loud about it i i sort of jogged toward him like just just you know got up sort of jogged toward him not I didn't sneak up on him. I just, you know, I wanted him to know I was there on his own accord and get away safely. So I just, I kind of just, you know, jogged in his direction, got him to get out of there. I looked around. I found a couple beds in the spot that he was bedded, you know, and I did not think deeper into it. I literally set a stand. I, I pulled up my phone. I seen what the wind was going to be the next day. Um, and I said, okay, you know, it's going to be a north wind. So I looked at that area where he was at. You know, I found some, I found some tracks around there. I seen kind of some trails that were coming into that. I I surmised where I thought he was coming from and I set a stand up for North wind. And I literally walked out of there in my mind. Okay. Well, that deer's dead tomorrow. Let me see if I can find a better one. So I went down, walked across the entire other side of the property, um, went to my truck, grabbed another tree stand. And then I went out and I actually hung a stand uh, on the South end of the farm completely opposite end. I didn't want to mess with anything that buck I thought was going to be doing tonight. I said, okay, he's going to probably go about whatever he's doing in the evening, which I don't know what the hell he's doing in the evening, but I want to be away from him. So I was like, let me go see, let me check the other side of this property and um, see what I can't get into. So um, found a really good trail through some thick CRP bedding and I hung up in a sapling like four feet high and literally, and I actually passed up a 150 inch deer that night first sit of just getting out there walking getting on a good trail it was as simple as that good trail beating the crp good track in it all right well this this seems as good a place as any i'm gonna fill my tank tomorrow morning anyway 
So, you know, that was kind of the, the thought I had in my mind. Hunted there, um, you know, that one night, um, backed out. Next morning, you know, I came in from the opposite direction due to what the wind was doing. I just wanted to have a little bit of a better an access from where I seen that trail where he was coming through. Uh, I didn't want to bump him if he was still on his way there. Got up in that stand and killed him at 710 uh, at, at 10 yards. I literally was, you know, 10 yards downwind of the bed that I just kicked him up out of. I don't know if he was going to bed in that same spot or he might have bedded, you know, a little bit down or, or it was a giant thicket in there and there was beds everywhere. But I knew that, you know, I just, I told myself, well, if I manipulate, you know, this area as good as I can, you know, I, I, I'm going to kill him. So, and, and he died. So wow. it's just kind of one of those, uh, um, those, those situations of, uh, constantly moving, you know, even, even the fact of like, uh, I remember talking to a buddy of mine, he's like, well, why don't you just jump? And I know my old man, you should do this a lot. Like he would have jumped right in that stand when he said it. And, you know, just in case that buck would have came, came back. Um, and he would have killed him that evening, you know, if he would have came back. I personally, I like, uh, I've had more luck, you know, um, depending on the temperament of the deer. Like if you bump a deer off his, um, his, uh, his bed and, and sometimes you'll see him and they'll, they'll almost like scamper off maybe like 50 yards and stop and look back. That might be a deer you want to be in that stand right away. I mean, if, you know, he, you know what I'm saying? Like he might or I think he might uh, have a little bit more of a easy temperament and be more uh, prone to coming right back. And, you know, you might kill him. He might come back to bed right in that spot when he, when he thinks you're gone. Um, if the deer completely leaves, I'll usually give it, you know, I'll let him sort of, I think there's almost like a, um, like a, I call it like a, a B pattern, you know, like a, a, a deer might have an A pattern and a B pattern. You know, if he if he runs into danger, he might resort to a B pattern, and then you know when he feels like it's all legit and and copacetic, he might circle back to his normal activities. So, I in my head, I'm categorizing you know this deer. I mean, this deer took off; he was gone. I mean, you know, like a bat out of hell. He seen me, he and, and ran. You know, so um, I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm going to let him. He's probably going to bed bed up somewhere else. You know, God knows where maybe go about a different evening pattern, but I think he'll probably cycle back through and, and, and come back here. So I gave that one an extra day and, and it proved, uh, it, it, it proved to be the right choice, man. So this is the, the infamous bump and dump strategy that, um, that I've heard a number of people talk about, but in particular, your dad, um, I think has kind of gained a little notoriety around that. Um, I feel like the kind of the crux of pulling that off seems to be, setting up properly for that hunt that next like how do you oh. actually set up on the bed so i'm kind of curious what's going through your mind when you you bump a deer you know it's a buck you want to shoot when you make that decision of which tree to set up for i know you mentioned in this case you looked at the wind direction um, but can you provide any more detail as far as you know did you try to set up within range of the trail or a specific bed or did you think about how the buck might approach uh when he came back the next morning or anything like that so, yeah, I think that, um, you know, and, you know, you mentioned the bump and dump and that's something that, you know, I, the old man coined and I think people years ago thought that was like, uh, you know, something completely crazy. And, um, you know, that goes along to where some guys like to be in there right away. Um, some guys, you know, wait, I've, I've, I took what he always did and I, I, you know, not followed it verbatim, but 
okay, I sort of found my own way and, and started killing deer where I, you know, it almost worked better for me uh, the other the other way. So with that being said, I didn't start really killing deer with this method for, for a while. I mean, I, I screwed up. I'm more big deer trying to pull this off than, you know, it took a while. And to that point, like you said, you have to, where a lot of guys mess up, and I hear it a lot, is they'll find these spots, they'll find the deer, they'll pick them up, they'll, they'll be in a perfect situation to kind of bring the whole thing home, and they'll, they just won't, they won't manipulate the spot right. So uh, what I think that comes down to mostly is, is really, you know, pay attention, look around, don't get, um, I think, I think the, the biggest thing is, you know, a lot of guys don't really concept the wind direction. Um, or they think maybe like, well, if I put my scent lock suit on, I, I should be able to get on, get anywhere in here and, and kill this deer. And that's, that's, you know, probably not the best, best attitude to have. Um, every time is different, but you have to take, I think you have to take everything into account. So, um, if there's one thing my old man told me back in the day, um, that I sort of remembered, uh, and then I've definitely adopted in my setting up tree stands in any situation is like, um, you know, don't, I don't know what he exactly said, but in the lines of don't be greedy. Like, so, you know, so I tell people a lot this, you know, nowadays that I talk to, like, you know, something that I, you know, learned from him back in the day, but you're never going to get everything. So, so many guys, and especially guys like us, like we're, we don't kill deer at 50 yards. Like we, we can't, or I mean, I can't speak for dad. I can't kill a deer at 50 yards. My, you know, yeah. I like them close. I like a super close shot. You know, I don't want to worry about having to, cause I don't shoot that much probably, but, but I just, so back to what he, you know, it's, you're never going to get it all. So, so many guys go in there and they start looking like, okay, there's bed right here. There's a rub there. There's a trail there. There's, you know, um, you know, this over here, this, and they start like trying to, they start trying to become infatuated with covering, uh, you know, a football field size area when like realistically, if you just, if you, if you prioritize and you think, you think about it, you know, so wind direction is number one, you know, you can't, let's say, let's say you got his trail, right? You got a, You got a beat trail coming into that, to that, his bed or, or his, this little bedding area. Right. Um, and you know, a hundred percent in your body that, okay, you know, your mind or whatever, your mind, your body, what you're thinking about it. You're like, this deer is coming up this ridge down this trail. The, 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 you know, the sign tells me this and he's bedding in this, um, he's bedding in this, uh, you know, this bed right here and you got it all figured out. But if you, if you don't have a win to hunt that trail, well, you're, you know, you can't hunt it. So, so many guys like, they say, well, no, I think I'm, and then they try and, they, they try and tell themselves, well, I, I think I'll get away with it or I'll, I'll bring my ozonics in here or I'll, that's where guys start messing up. Like, so first and foremost, I look at the wind. If I can't, you know, even if that deer was 200 inches, right. And I, and I bumped them out of there and I looked at the wind the next morning and it would have been an East wind. I wouldn't hunted it because I couldn't have, there was that spot. There was just, it, it wasn't plausible. I just so happened to be having a good wind of, of what was going on. So I think, and I used to try and do that. I used to try and fight it and force it and think like, okay, well, man, I know he's on this, you know, to, but to that point, you know, so I, first and foremost is a wind, you know, I mean, you got to get a wind that's going to, um, let you hunt that area. I think, or I know, um, 
you know, then I start looking at like, okay, would I rather shoot a bed? Would I rather shoot a trail? Would I rather shoot a, you know, I'd rather shoot them all, but I let the wind dictate what I can cover and where I, where I hang the stand, um, in that area. That's, that's, it, that's it. hundred percent. Yeah. So one of the questions I have then regarding the wind you hunted on is I've heard some people talk about how they tend to see mature bucks come into their beds. I've heard people talk about like the J hook where they might circle in and come downwind of the bed that they want to get to and check it before walking into it. Have you seen anything like that? Or do you think about anything different as far as how you anticipate a buck moving in? I I've seen that. Um, but I don't, I don't even think about that. Like I, I have, you know, you know, I, I always keep that knowledge in my head about like, okay, well deer t- typically do this or, you know, there are big bucks in the past have done this or, you know, um, uh, but I very rarely try and sum all bucks up into, into, um, into like a, you know, all the same thing. Um, this deer I'm trying to think of how that exactly, exactly laid out. Um, um, I knew that the only place that I could shoot this deer with the North wind was, um, it was actually, I think I was probably 20 yards from where he was bedded, um, you know, 10 yards from the trail. And there was a lot of other sign that was, that was farther over. Like, you know, I could see he was, he was, you know, browsing around, rubbing some stuff up and like, he was doing a lot of stuff in that area, but I knew that's the only way I could be. So you know, to that point, if he would have came in, in, in J hook, or if he would have came and, you know, um, you know, with the wind in the wrong direction, you know, like the, like the popular or whatever that may have been, it didn't matter. Cause that was the only place I could be. So that's not gonna, you know, affect, um, you know, me being in there. Now I also look though, and I'm, I mean, I, I pretty much, I dial it down to where, okay. Like, uh, you know, this, I seen the trail, you know, I seen his tracks on the trail coming up that ridge. So I knew he was hooking around that ridge regardless, you know? So it was just one of those things that, um, you know, in that scenario, I, I, I took that, I took all I could get, you know, that was it. Yeah. I, th- I love that uh, point you make about the fact that you can't be greedy. Like you can't have it all. I, I definitely used to fall into that same trap where I was thinking, all right, I need to cover this and this and this and, or, or I do the what ifs game. So I would like yeah, think about yeah. where to hunt and I think, well, he might do this. So I should be trying to take advantage of that. But what if he did this? Well, then I may want to move my tree stand 10 yards further this way because then I could maybe cover that lane. And then maybe if he hit this scrape and then you'd have like six different what if scenarios and you'd try to maybe set up for all of them. But then what inevitably happens at least from my experience, is that if you try to set up for six what-if scenarios that, so you maybe have a decent chance at each different scenario, you're not set up perfectly for any one of those. So it's it's kind of a shitty situation if he does any one of them. But what I've started to do more and more, and I'm curious to hear if you think this is if this makes sense or not, but I've kind of started to do this. I'm, I'm In my head, I'm kind of calling it like my truth and assumption uh, like a methodology or something. I'm, I'm coining this thing in my own head as I'm saying it, but, but I look yeah. at a situation and I say, okay, what do I think this buck's going to do? Like, what do I think is the most likely thing he's going to do? And so let's say, I think the most likely thing is that he's bedded in spot a, and he's going to walk from spot a down this trail to feed in spot B. If I had, if you put a gun to my head, that'd be my number one guess based off of the sign or based off of past experience or based off trail cameras, whatever data I have. And so instead of 
looking at that as one of like six possibilities and trying to set up for all six, I'm now saying, okay, I'm going to assume that my number one guess, I'm going to assume that's truth. Like that is what's going to happen. And then I make all my decisions assuming that's a truth. So I'm going to set up perfectly for that one thing. I'm going to access perfectly for that one assumption. I'm going to, you know, everything's going to be for that one scenario. And I'm kind of finding that that's working better because most of the time you're going to get it wrong anyways. But if you set up perfectly for one scenario, every once in a while that scenario does happen. And then you end up having the perfect situation to get a shot versus, you know, never ending up getting the perfect situation because you're always setting up for six what ifs. Um, does that make sense at all? No, yeah, hundred um, percent. And and it, it's it's sort of like you know I I, I kind of have the same philosophy on stuff like for how my my stand is set up. Like if you know I might be covering you know a, a trail and a scrape or whatever, but and there there's the opportunity to get more, but I have to like set my stand just a little farther over, and I know I okay, well that that shot will be a standing shot. This one I don't even do it because. Like I kill majority of my deer with this. I always put, I'm, I'm sort of a, uh, definitely a, I wouldn't say OCD per se, but like there's a, there's a thing out there's a, there's a way I like to do things and it's always the same. And majority of the time when I kill a deer, I'm, I'm sitting down and I know exactly where, where he's going to be. So I'll, I'll cut out a lot of access stuff that I could cover just to have my stand in that perfect direction to where there's minimal movement and I'm ready to kill like, like in that position. Like I love shooting, sitting down and all my stands, you know, I take that in account. So I, I start to, like you said, you know, you, you got your, you know, your a route or whatever, whatever uh, you're saying it is, but that's what I'm picking. That's what I'm setting up on. You know, if it, if, if I hunt there, you know, you know, and my wind's good and he does something else, well, I'll, I'll kill him the next day or I'll, I'll move on to the next day. You know, it's, it's, I'm ready to rock in that scenario. You know, there's, it, it's just one of those things where, okay, now if that, if that deer comes in and he does what I think he's going to do, he's dead. Yeah. It's not like one of those deals where like, Oh, well he could come in behind me. And then all of a sudden you don't realize it. And, and then he's behind you at 15 yards and there's no way you can stand up, turn around. Like I never, I never want to have that happen. Like that's the worst. Yeah. Um, that's the worst uh, feeling in the world, or, or even just never want to get handcuffed, man. I've been handcuffed in the past, and I go myself like, nope, it's not happening anymore. Like it's just, I'd rather miss one, and I have missed a lot. I'd, I'd rather miss one, you know, just clean, you know, and and being right on the money than, than some something stupid like that where you can't even get a shot, you know, and you never even knew, you know, you could be dead, but you didn't, you didn't, you tried to, you tried to be a hog. And try to cover too much area. And you didn't set up right. And you didn't think it out. You know, I think it's very important for these guys, even too, like when they're setting up stands or anybody, think it out, man. Like think, okay, think about your thought process. Think about where that deer's going to come from. Think about what shot you're going to take. Think about when you're going to draw. Think about like a lot of that. You know, there's there's all this this scouting process and finding spots and and setting up stands. You know, and then there's even more to it. It's like you know, some people do all that. And they do it great, and then all of a sudden they just crumble when the deer shows up. So I think you know having that in your mind, knowing what's going to happen, knowing you're going to kill, knowing when you're going to kill, like all that really makes a big difference. Yeah, uh, like yeah, those, those little details they matter. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. So speaking of little details, um, 
drilling in just a little bit more on this specific kind of bump and dump type scenario. When you get in there, you've figured out based off the wind and a little bit of the area you can see, you've figured out the right tree to set up. And um, do you worry about doing any kind of trimming once you get up to the tree or or anything like that or do you say okay i'm just going to hang the stand right here now and not touch another thing because i don't want to leave my scent anywhere or mess with it anymore what's your balance I there? De- so just like i was saying before i got my certain way that i do it so i'm going to pick that tree to where i can get in my position and i can be ready to rock you know in that seated shot you know across the left shoulder like it's it's that's just what you know or my my shoulder it's just that's the way i do it so if i gotta trend, if i gotta freaking cut down a um if i gotta cut down a tree the size of my leg to make that happen i'll i'll do it like you know, if 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 obviously if i can if i'm on a, if i'm not you know a piece to where um just because i know i'm gonna be there waiting and i don't care i'll leave uh, i'll send that freaking area up crazy as long as i'm there for anything that's bad if I know I can't get in there, well then I'll, I'll sneak out. I'll get out and I won't. I won't mess around with it. But your first shot's your best shot, and you know odds are by the time they realize, oh shit, you know something, you know this this is not the same place, you know unless you know how are you gonna have that if you do it right. So so taking this tree stand setting up uh, question a little bit further, then can you just walk us through in general how you actually go about setting up your mobile stand, whether it be a you know, whether it's a bump and dump or just a regular hunt, you're sneaking in to set up your stand and hunt that day. Um, like the exact specific scenario, like you set your backpack on the ground, you hook up a row, like what exactly do you do from the moment you pick your tree to the time you're up in it? Okay. So this is, um, yes, this is how I go about it. Now uh, I'm going to go through it. How, um, I'm going to use like even our, our new setup, which makes this, this, this completely and um a, a, a game changer completely different story now with how this works so um you know typically i have i have my stand on my back um sticks on the stand packs it up you know straps to that bone hand you know i always i always pretty much have my bone hand so um what i will do when i find that spot i will you know, take that stand off my back and, you know, with the intent of that being the only time the stand comes off my back is this first time. Take the stand off my back, I take the bag, put it on the ground, and I hook uh, my tow rope up to my bag and my bow. So my bag and my bow are sitting on the ground, you know, I take the sticks off my stand, and I put the stand back on my back. So now I got my stand on my back, um, bow, and the... Uh, um, bag hooked up with my tow rope so then i just I, I start i start at the tree you know i usually put about um depending on how high i need to get i might start out with a couple of screw-ins or whatever or just my sticks but i put the first one to two sticks uh, on the tree when i'm on the ground you know one at that, that stepping level and then one as high as i can reach um and then i have the uh the last two sticks um or three or four you know on my stand so I can reach right back and grab them as I'm going up. So, um, I just, my, my goal is to get up in one shot. Um, I don't want to come back and, you know, down. now if, if I'm setting up something, that I'm not going to hunt for, you know, a couple of days, I won't even, or I'm not going to hunt until later. I won't even drop my bow or I'll just leave it there. You know, I'm not too worried about getting up there in one shot, but if I'm going on like a hanging hunt, I definitely want to get up there once. I don't want to be sweating. I don't want to, you know, have any, you know, have it be, a. um, you know, kind of more 
difficult that it needs to be. So, um, you know, go up with the sticks, hang the stand down, you know, then I get my stand, set it, and then, and then I can pull all my gear up, you know. So it's it's that one, uh, that one, one shot up. Cover, I mean, I'll definitely look for cover over anything. I don't hunt high. Um, I'd say 90% of the times I'm, I'm between 8 and 15 feet, um, you know, and more so even, I'd say if I had to pick a height that I was at, like, if I had to pick one height, it'd probably be, you know, majority of the time, maybe 10 feet, 12 feet. You know, I, if I'm in a bottom and I need to, you know, get away with some, some, you know, the thermals or whatnot, or if it's something that I need to get real high, I'll get, I'll get as high as I need to. I'll get 20, 25 feet sometimes, but, um, I would rather be low than high any day. So is that for, is that simply because it allows you to get up faster and with fewer sticks or is that because, you know, you just don't want to be high or is it because of the better shot angles or, you know, why are you doing that? I, I think it's everything. So I like, uh, yep. Less equipment on my back at all times is definitely a plus. You get up quicker. Um, there tends to be more cover down low. Um, you know, shot angles, you know, nothing's better than a, you know, 10 yard shot and you're, just a couple feet higher than deer. I mean, it's sometimes you get real high and it, you got those increased angles and it's, and it's a pain. Um, but I truly believe that there's a, there's a, uh, there's a spot in there. Um, it sounds weird. You, you, you might think it's, um, kind of the opposite, but I feel like there's a spot in there to where you're not like eye level, but you're not up in a tree. And it's almost like this little money zone that I feel is like a, it's like a miss. Now, don't get me wrong. When you hunt this high, you have to be, you got to have your wits about you. You got to be stealthy. You can't be swinging your freaking head left and right. You can't be, you know, uh, playing Pac-Man 100% of the time. I mean, you know, you got to be ready to rock and you got to know what you're going to do. But like when you're in that, when you're at that height, I almost feel like they look through you. They're not. Even the, you know, people talk about how they look up all the time, you know, and, and which they very well might do, and it might be because you're sitting in the same, same stand every day, or you're, you know, and they get used to looking for those tree stands or whatever, but I do feel that there's a, there's a mid-height in there that people are scared to hunt because they think it's too low, but I do, it, like, I 100% think, like, that's a better height to be at. I feel like there's less association with danger at that height, and, you know, it's it's... So I feel like it's kind of a, in every aspect, I just like to be, you know, especially if you get some cover, man, if you get some like real, not really cover that low. I mean, I think that's the most invincible, like cedars, like those, you know, not real mature cedars, but man, 10 feet off the ground in a cedar tree. Oh, um, dude, talk that's like, that's like what death should look like in, <laughs> in the, in the dictionary. You know I mean? It's, it's, yeah, that's hard to, it's hard to beat that. So, um, so then that brings me to trimming a little a little bit more on the trimming aspect. Are you are you then in a situation like that leaving as much cover as possible and just trimming out a lane to your to your one best spot, your like A location? Or do you try to have multiple shot opportunities available too? Like how do you balance that? Um, I definitely go so normally, especially in like a cedar situation or if it's really thick. I'll definitely focus on the, the couple main, you know, there's, there's some stuff that's so thick that I hunt that you, you couldn't possibly trim a lane in every, every trail. So that's where you got to be more focused in on. And a lot of times when it's real thick, I'll just, I might even just set up on one trail. I say, okay, I know he's going to come down here. I'm going to be seated, ready to shoot him, you know, and this is my only shot. You know, I mean, I got to 
by the time I see him and the time he's dead, it'll probably be two seconds, you know. So there's a lot of that that I, I like to, to go on, you know, um, where you can't really see a whole lot. But to that being said, if I can trim a little bit extra and cover a couple lanes, I will. Um, I'm pretty uh, I'm pretty critical on myself of, of how, like, I don't know what you'd call it, like my, my actions in the stand. Like, you know, I know that I'm not – getting busted i'm not moving around a lot like i'm you know i, I sit like 95 percent of the time like just waiting for so i'll sacrifice a little cover like if it's if there's a bunch of stuff that i think you know are let's say let's say i can't shoot you know let's say there's so many hot trails in this little spot which is which is hardly ever but that where i need to cover cut a little extra stuff i'll cut a little extra stuff like if i need to i'm i've never been like a you know, a trimming Nazi, like, oh, I need all this stuff. I need to be covered here. I need to be covered there. I'm definitely not like that. But I also don't chop every damn limb down on the tree. So I just, I guess I find a happy medium to where um, I get enough shots and I got enough cover. Yeah, that makes sense. So so we, this whole way of hunting, you know, sneaking in with a stand on your back and sticks, like you alluded to earlier in our chat, like that's become a whole lot more popular over the last, I don't know, five years or so, give or take. Um, more and more people are realizing the benefits of hunting new areas. You know, the, those first time sits can be so great, uh, moving around a lot. So with so many more people kind of taking this approach and you having, you know, a ton of experience doing it, also having learned from your dad, who was one of kind of the, the, the pioneers in this kind of hunting, when you see or hear all these other people trying this kind of hunt, what do you see as being the, the most common mistake that you see people making or hear about people making? Like, is there anything out there that you, just makes you cringe when you hear about other people trying to do mobile hunting in, in certain ways? Yeah, I think I, I, I think what makes me cringe is, is when people, they, people fail to notice the obvious. So with all the, my biggest and the whole reason why I never really even talked to anybody about hunting, you know, I, I'd always get questions from people. I've always done trade show and people, Oh, you, killed so many good deer like why don't you why don't you talk to i've never wanted to give somebody information and then have them take it wrong and, and mess up or something and, and be you know touched or anything but when people avoid to realize the obvious like so my biggest fear is like even this podcast people will listen to this and everybody will go out and look for that deer on that bed and like that that's the only thing they think of in their mind like that's you know uh be, and i've had even buddies like this too you know so it's like you know, they go out there and they they hear about this this you know, they've heard about the bump and dump. They hear about oh man, you know, he's been he's been doing like, you know, a revised bump and dump. It's a little different. He's got you know, like they they take what we said and oh he's got the B the B pattern and that's what I'm gonna do, I'm doing that. Right. And they go out into the timber with that only thing in their mind. And they of they avoid the obvious. Like I've I've seen it happen. I've seen guys so so infatuated with finding a bed or killing a deer over its bed that they overlook like just like low hanging fruit. And that right there is what, is what really drives me nuts because, and, and here's a perfect example. I was hunting a couple of years ago, um, with a guy I'd never hunted before. And, you know, I was seeing a buck that I knew was coming out to a certain, certain, uh, egg field and feeding. And, you know, it was just like one of those. And he kept saying, well, why aren't you going to kill that buck? And why, why aren't you going in there? Or I'm like, I'm not going to go in that. Or why aren't you going to find his bed? Why isn't he dead yet? Why? And I'm like, dude, I'm not going to go hook up his bedding routine and 
if I don't, if I can kill him on this field edge, like he's literally coming out to this field. As soon as I get that west wind, I'm slipping in there. Like you know, it, it's yeah. one of those things where where so many guys and they get they get so infatuated with the one way of doing things. You got to keep your eyes open. You got to be open to all aspects of it. If I'm looking for a bed and I find a hot trail, I'll stop. Um, oh, you know, I was looking for a bed, but shit, this is a hot trail. Let me let me jump up here and see what happens. Like I'm not gonna go start just going nuts if I don't have to. So um, I don't know if that makes sense, but um, it you know. And then to that point, I think that deer died three days later on a field edge. And I and I don't kill a whole lot of deer on field edges, and I'd rather kill them in the woods. But man, like what? You know, there's no need to make things harder than they, you know, than they need to be. Same thing with scrapes. It's like, okay, well, you know, you got a, you got a scrape that's getting pounded. Let's say you walk by it every day. That thing is getting pounded every day, and it's just, I mean, it's just getting hammered. Hunt the damn scrape. You know, some people like got, they they got like this this um this this thought. Well, I can't. You know, some they they think it's too easy. They're like, oh well, I can't just hunt. He's not going to come that scrape and and shoot in daylight hours or. You know, you hear, you hear the the old fabled tale of uh, not fabled tale, but you hear the tales of like guys shooting bucks right in next to right by the parking lots in public grounds. Sometimes people are so don't get me wrong. Yeah, the deeper you can get, and the farther away from people you can get is good. But some people overlook that that completely obvious obvious sign that is right at the parking area. You know, I mean, it's just one, of, and they see it, and they think in their head, oh, it can't be. It can't be. It's right next to the parking area. Well, I, I promise you it is. Like, the, these, the, this sign ain't lying to you. It's not fake, you know. So, I, I guess, yeah, that may be a long-winded explanation of it, but, but overlooking the obvious, I'd say. Yeah, man, that's such a great point. And it's, it's, you kind of brought up something that, that I'm sure we're all guilty of to some degree, which is right, you, hear, you hear these kind of rules sometimes in the hunting world, like don't hunt scrapes because of whatever, you know, lots of people have shown research that it's, it's just nighttime activity now, or so much of it's nighttime activity or say, don't hunt too close to parking lots or, um, you know, there's all these kind of maxims out there that many times maybe are true. And so they get talked about a lot. And then that though becomes like a rule that some people have and yeah. it's, it becomes a, a real negative. If you're never willing to color outside the lines, sometimes if you're not willing to, see what you said like the obvious sometimes or try different things or be willing to be flexible you know you're gonna miss out and uh you know one example of that and this is something that i um i fall into this myself quite a bit is the the popular notion that hunting mornings in the early season or in the late season is something that's maybe not recommended in a lot of cases. And so I've been someone who said that often, at least in my scenarios, I found like, man, it seems really risky a lot of times to go in there in certain situations and maybe the upside isn't as high. So because of that, I don't hunt a ton of mornings. Now I know though, that there's certainly scenarios where it can be great. I know you're a guy who does really like those early season mornings. Um, can you kind of walk us through why that works for you and why that's one of those rules that maybe shouldn't be so set in stone always? You know, I don't, I don't know. And I think, um, I mean, I, you know, I know I've talked about this a couple of times, but I do not know where the notion came from. So I think maybe a combination of, you know, that, that quote unquote lull of movement, um, or, um, you know, temperature or, or whatever it may be that is keeping people 
out of the, you know, from hunting in the mornings, I think a lot of that stems with people are so conditioned to hunt a certain area and have a certain image in their head. Like there's, there's so much like, you know, everybody wants to shoot that, that, that buck, you know, coming diagonal into a freaking decoy on a field edge. Like, and, and, and they, they have, they have all these visions that I think they see through mainstream hunting today that, that they picture in their head and they want that to be right. You know, so, you know, guys, you know, this gets built up and they have an idea of how they'd like to kill something or, or at least what they see on TV, whether it be through, you know, on this luscious big food plot, you know, um, which is deer coming right in or, or, uh, or, you know, whatever. And they, they fail to realize like, you know, you have to, um, it's a different, like when these deer are killed in the morning, or at least when I kill these deer in the morning in October, I'm, these aren't, these aren't great hunts that like you, you, you'd go home and tell your buddies about. They're not like, dude, I seen, uh, you know, I seen three bucks and they were sparring or I seen, I seen 20 deer today and, you know, and, and it's, um, uh, you know, or, or I was loaded and I was covered up all morning. These are, these are specific little missions to kill a specific deer most of the time. Or like with me, a lot of these times, like when I kill in the morning in October, like that's the only, that's the only deer I see. And, and, you know, it's, it comes down to one of those things that, you know, I've said for a long time that I'm, I'm sure I probably, you know, um, picked up from somewhere, but like, well, do you want to see deer and have a good time or do you want to kill a deer? Mm-hmm. And if you really ask yourself that, you know, you're going to see more deer and you're going to have quote unquote better hunts in the evening, in October, on food sources or whatever the hell you're doing. But, you know, I mean, I think you're going to have more, it's going to be a shittier hunt, but you're going to have more success. So I think a lot of that is, is, a is a way people envision themselves hunting and not a lot of people like, there's also that fear of getting into the woods because now, you know, you're probably not going to have all that much luck early season, October on a field edge in the morning. Like that's probably not where you want to be, you know, uh, you want to be more so where they're bedding, you know, you know, figure out that pattern and be closer in on them and get them, you know, coming in there. So I think it's just, it, it comes down to, it's a different, it's a completely different hunt, a different style, um, you know, all together. So, that makes sense. I don't know if I'm talking in circles or, or what. No, um, it makes sense. Um, now I want to lay out a scenario for you and you tell me if, if um, I'm guessing, I guess what I'm trying to say here is I'm guessing that that morning hunt approach in October is situational, right? There's certain situations where it could work really well. There's certain situations where maybe it's not as, as, as recommended. And you tell me if this is, if you think this is right or wrong, but let's say you hunt just a small property. You only have a 20 acre property of which there's just one good bedding area of timber on it. And on any given year, you'll be lucky if there's one mature buck. And that one mature buck, usually like you don't get a whole lot of chances of that deer because you're in Michigan and there's 30 hunters hunting all around you. And if you, if you bump that deer a few times, once or twice, you're probably not going to see him moving daylight. That's maybe what you know about your area. Now, if that is your scenario, would you agree that pushing in there for a morning hunt into that one bedding area you can hunt in early October, that might be pretty high risk. And maybe in that scenario, you would say, well, maybe you try something different because if you go in there in the morning and he doesn't give you a shot, but you have to walk out of there and blow it out or whatever it might be, is that kind of scenario maybe, hey, it's it's too risky, you shouldn't do it versus maybe you got a big property with a bunch of different bedding areas you could hunt in the mornings and if it doesn't go good today, you could try again somewhere else tomorrow? Is that 
Does that make sense? Yep. You know, so 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 there's yeah, there's a I would come at this from so many different angles. I would I would literally you know depending on the property, depending on you know. I think you said you have na- neighbors are hunting right now when you're hunting. Is what you're saying? Yeah, in that like example. Area, I, would, yeah, I would say in that example. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A lot so, of hunters. You know, depending on depending on perimeter pressure, you know what this. It mean, you know, I would take. I would really start diving into this. So, I mean, do I have a history with this deer? Like, is you know, do I know where he's feeding? Am I seeing him in daylight? Do I got pictures of him? Is he a deer that I think he's there? Do I know he's there? Like, is he? Like, if I know, if I know that deer is bedded in that, you know, so now this is your 40. You should know this thing at the back of your hand, I would think, from shed hunting and all that stuff. If you have that idea of where that deer is on that 40, um, and you know he's bedded there, and you, like, maybe he's going out to the, I don't know where he's coming out, but, um, you know, that's where I would calculate, okay, well, here's a chance, like, you know, is this deer a world record? Like, where I, you know, like, where, like, and if I bump him and he runs, like, I know there's a guy in a tree stand, you know, uh, freaking uh, uh, i could see him in my binos you know that would that would definitely have a have a factor i've always been the kind of guy that like you know if well if i bump him i'll find another deer you know or i'll go i'll go uh you know hunt a different deer or whatever or if, or if, if something something happens with that so i think that would take a play but where i think guys have the most benefit is if they like if this is your 40 and you know this thing like the back of your hand like and you know where that deer is bedded, you'll probably have a really good idea of like, oh shit, well, I could get in this tree and I could be invincible. You know, I mean, how's your access? If you can't, if you got to run through the bedding area or, uh, you know, access will play a big factor. Um, I do not think I would be able to, to, to resist going in and hunting that deer in the morning. I think I would do that immediately. And I, and I think, you know, eight times out of those 10, I'd probably come out with that deer, you know, but there's also the, you know, the factor, well, is he coming to like one of your food plots? Like, is he coming? Are you seeing him come out? Is he traveling? Like, can, like one of those things, like avoiding the obvious, like, yeah, you might know he's better there, but are you seeing him in the evening? Like, is he, is he just making it out there at last light to where like you think that a couple more days or a week you might kill him? You know, cause you also got to think too, my biggest concern, like in that situation, I think I'd probably be on that beer you know, I would probably hunt him a couple, I would hunt him in the evenings a few times if I was that scared to get in there. And if nothing was happening, I would go after that deer instantly because I've lost out on so many deer that when they start getting squirrely late October and when the rut kicks in, somebody else is going to shoot that deer anyway. That deer is going to be so, if you only got 40 acres, you better get your, get the lead out and, and go after that sucker because the odds of him making it through a freaking rut and then through a gun season and then like, you know, I feel like you're being patient and, and holding your vices are they're they're completely like you know if you if you want to talk being a gambling man you're more likely to succeed going in there and maybe you might bump that buck out of there but he's better there for a reason you're more likely to succeed by pushing the envelope than you know betting on that thing making an entire season yeah yeah that's that's something that i always uh have been reminding myself of is that fact that they're betting somewhere for a reason like these deer they're not there on a whim they found a safe spot, and even if you muck it up once, like they're gonna want to go back to it. Yeah, if you go in there every day for ten straight days, yeah, then it yep, might, you might exactly. be screwing things up. Exactly. Yeah, um, you. I've seen people just butcher betting areas. Like they're literally in there trying, and, and no fault of them, so they're trying to like learn. So they go in there all the time. Well, that's not the best. You know, that that's not what you want to be doing because because by because for sure, you know, you're gonna you're gonna run into that situation where, you know, if that deer is getting pressured that much, he's, he's probably gonna leave. 
you know, it's just, it's just the, the fact of it, you know, whether that be two times for that deer or six times, like it, you know, I'm sure that'll depend on how long he's been there. You know, a lot of times there's a pecking order too. So we're like, you know, some of them deer don't want to move because that's their, that's their zone. Like they've earned that zone. They've worked for it, you know? Um, and if they move something else, a lot of times come in, you know, and that's, so, I mean, there's a lot of different, different ways to, to yeah. look at that too, but. You mentioned you mentioned a couple times that you would go in there and hunt that morning, you know, right away. You'd get in there instantly and take a stab at him. Did you mean that literally, or do you mean like the first time conditions are right? I guess what I'm asking is, are there any certain types of weather triggers or something or moon or whatever that make you think, okay, this is the best possible day to hunt one of these morning setups? You know, I know that a lot of guys talk about red moon times or hunting cold fronts or different things like that. Do you wait for anything like that to give you a little better chance or do you just go? Um, I pretty much just, I would pretty much go and I would just make sure that when I went in there to make the, uh, like to hunt it, I would make sure my situation situation was right for, for that time specifically. Now, if you got, you know, to that point, you know, if you got a really high moon phase coming up and you got a nice food plot that you think this deer is going to be, you know, that's more so like where, okay, I'd, I'd probably time that. Like if, if it's going to be one of those, you know, you know, red moon times where you think that buck is going to be feeding in your food plot or in a nearby, you know, ambush point in like three days. Well, I, you know, I don't know if I'd go in there and I'd probably give that a shot. You know, if it, it all depended on, you know, what information I had to me, but not that I would wait for an optimal time to go in there. I would just make sure that when I went in there, I was completely right for, you know, not like, you know, that comes back, you know, on the property. If I look at it and I know where he's betting, it's just completely shit with these winds. So I obviously wouldn't go in there then when, when I had these funds coming up or if I had any sort of east, I'd maybe make sure I had a, you know, uh, the best wind for that spot. And, and it, it really makes it a lot, a lot better. And you can really think about it more when you know the area. Like if you literally set boots on where you think he's betted, well, then you can really formulate a game plan and you might, if you think he's so, you know, dead set in that area, you can, you know, you can wait a couple of days like, okay, hey, it's, just, it's going to be chilly this morning. I'll probably be on his feet a little longer in the morning. I'm going to slip back there and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'll catch him a little later coming to, coming to his batter. So yeah, I would definitely, um, you know, use things like that to my advantage, but I also like to never let that stop me from hunting. Like what I know, that's one, it comes back to avoiding the obvious. I do I believe in the moon phases, right? So I, I, I mean, I watch the moon. I take that into account. In no way or shape or form do I let that dictate, you know, everything about my hunt. I have killed great deer on field edges when that moon phase was saying, you know, to be in the petty area at the exact time. So it's just, you know, and, and vice versa. It's I take it into account. You know, I take it into account that okay, they're going to be more like Kate to be feeding at these times, you know, the, however that works, the gravitational pull or whatever it is, make him, you know, more likely to want to do that as a whole. But nothing beats that sign. So if like that, you know, that, that sign's there and, and what you know goes against the moon phase, well, don't tell yourself, oh, well, the moon phase says this, so I can't be hunting this right now. Like that's, that's just, you know, I don't, I, yeah, I don't, I don't get that for sure. Yeah. I think there, that makes a lot of sense. It, it can be a helpful it can be a helpful tool, but if you, just like anything, kind of a lot of things we talked yeah. about, right? There's a lot of different kind of tips out there or 
things that usually this is the case, but if you ever get too deep into any one of these, you start missing out on the obvious things that are all around you that you need to be taken advantage of. Exactly. I, there's just, there's so many things that like, this guy might kill there and he's a freaking, and he's a, he's a moon, he's a moon advocate through and through. This guy might kill him, deer, you know, all these big deer and he's a, you know, um, Betting area, Taylor through and through, and then you know you got another guy over there that only hunts field edges and only hunts them on a on a southeast wind and only hunts them when the, the goddamn you know certain rare flowers blowing. You know all those things might be great, but it's like where a guy I think has to take those things in, you know, and and figure out uh, you know figure them out for himself. You know, obviously being in the woods helps, but it's. You know, just like to that point, like, you know, I've, um, everybody's got their own style, but to be open and to, and to be able to adapt, um, is, is where you're ultimately going to be the, uh, going to be the best hunter you can be. And, and I think experiencing those things, like, you know, you're better for them. Like, you know, you, you go through those, you're constantly learning, you know, and you, you got to keep a constant open mind. If I see something that like is against everything that we've been talking about, like, on this podcast next year I will completely throw everything out of the window and go to what I'm seeing what is true what is real right in front of me so I think that's a, um, you know if, if there's something where I think because I've I've been in that situation before too like I've uh, a, a, you know a big deer that I killed a couple of years ago like I was started seeing sign like right on this road and I'm like and I literally see it and I'm like you know what and I was thinking like could that be him could that be this you know, this, this big buck that I've been hunting, no, no, he wouldn't be out here. He's too smart for that. He wouldn't be out here. You know, and then until I slapped myself in the face, and was like, who says he? Like, what, what, you know, maybe that's the smartest thing for him. You know, maybe this is where he, and I hunted it, you know, I hunted that, and then four days later, I ended up killing that deer. It's just one of those things where you've got to pull yourself out of that, that, you know, making assumptions and, and you know, pigeonhole and everything. Yeah. Yeah, if, there, if there's anything I've learned from you know, running this podcast over the years, it's that there are so many different ways to do this thing. And, uh, you, oh, yeah. you got to stay open to new ideas and try things out and learn as you go. If you get stuck in a rut, I mean, that's one of the worst things you can do. Um, yeah. 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 So we're, we're running up on time here. I'm going to, if I don't catch myself here, I'll sit here talking to you for six hours and <laughs> your day is going to be <laughs> shot. Um, so I, I want to just wrap it up with, with a couple quick final questions. If you had to do a really quick, like self analysis and think through what your biggest weakness is as a hunter, because we've talked about a lot of things that make you successful, why you've done so, so well in the woods, but is there anything that you could pick out that might be a weakness of yours that you, that maybe has hurt you a little bit at some point as a, as a hunter and whole. Yeah. As a hunter. Um, not, I think I get so, I get so, um, caught up in, there's, there's probably two things that come, that come to mind right away. And when one would be, um, falling back into that i think it's natural for everybody and it's a big thing i preach because i know it's one of my weaknesses and that's why i try and tell anybody who's interested in listening to not do it and that's dwelling on the past like i i do so many times where i get in getting situations and then i have that i have that torn into where i should go in there and the setup should take me 20 minutes it ends up taking me 40 minutes because i start to replay old highlight reels in my head and think about that 
slammer that I killed at, you know, 10 yards out of that tree. And, oh, that tree I set up before, it's ready to rock. I don't have to trim anything. Like, it's right in the area. And I, like I said, I kick myself in the nuts again. And I'm like, what are you doing? You know, like, that's not the tree this year. The tree this year is six trees over. Like, don't be lazy. You try to in that tree six feet over and get it done. And, and that, I think that is a big, I think, um, that's probably one big thing. And like I said, I try and, um, I consider it a weakness, not that I do a lot, but it's constantly in my head. So it's something I constantly beat myself up for because you, you know, I think it's natural to, to, you know, you know, think about things like that. The other thing would be, um, um, probably what I'm going to focus on now, you know, more so spending more time on the archery end of things and the hunting end of things. Like, it, it's weird, you know, you, I, you talk to different people and you see, like, where, you know, you can see where their time is spent. And, like, I'm so, so much into the hunting and the chess game and the figuring out that I'll, I'll consistently create opportunities for myself the entire year. But, like, like you know, it's like, dang, you know, I should have been shooting more. Like, I didn't, you know, I didn't follow with that shot. I didn't follow through with that shot. So I, you know, so I missed him, you know, or, what, you know, a lot of that kind of stuff. So I think maybe... You know, on the back end of things, you know, my, one of my biggest weaknesses is not looking at um, all the aspects of it, you know, like like just archery. Like, dude, man, you know, get techie with, or, you know, get, get familiar with your bow a little bit, you know, get to know this, get to know that, you know, do a little bit more. I'm so, like, just hunt, 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 scout, 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 like, you know, and and it's, um, you know, not a, not a place I really put a lot of my time. Yeah, well, uh that was going to be my next question is what's one thing you might do differently this year. So you, you got that one covered, uh, which is interestingly yeah, one of the things 100%. I'm going to be doing too. So, um, yeah, hundred percent, man, Cody, this is, uh, this has been fun, really interesting stuff. Uh, I've enjoyed your perspective. I think, uh, I think a lot of it falls in line with a lot of things I've been thinking about. So this is great to hear it from you. If, if folks want to, want to learn more about what you guys have got going on with the gear and everything, you want to give us that website address one more time. Uh, it's www.lonewolfcustomgear.com, um, and you know we're also on on Facebook and Instagram. We just we just started those pages as well. So I mean we're gonna be uh, posting stuff on there, um, and yeah, I mean that's that's pretty much will be the main avenue for the products, um, and well uh, also to my you know my personal Instagram page. I like to like to, I'll be putting out some inside scoops on some of the products and, and release dates on there as well. So uh, that might be a good avenue uh, for people to be able to check out as well. Perfect. Well, I'll definitely uh, make sure we've got those links up there. And, man, I just want to thank you for taking the time to chat. This is a lot of fun, Cody. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank, thanks again, Mark, man. I just, you know, that's what, that's what we do, man. We love talking about this stuff, so it's always fun. It is a good time, that's for sure. Well, uh, until next time, Cody, good luck uh, with your off-season prep and uh, hopefully shoot some slammers this year. Yeah, you too, Mark. And that's going to do it, so I'll just leave you with a few quick reminders. Um, as usual, if you haven't left a review on iTunes, it would be hugely appreciated. It doesn't take very long. and helps a ton. Also, if you want to see more of what I've got going on and more of the Wired Hunt content, over on the Wired Hunt Instagram, I'm posting a lot more now, doing actually daily Instagram stories there, sharing different information, sharing what's going on in my life, some of the things I'm learning about. You might be interested to see what's going on there. So head on over to Instagram and follow wired to hunt And otherwise, just want to say thank you. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your support. And until next time, stay wired to hunt. 
I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.